Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Hey, happy birthday, Mike. Maybe I can take you out for breakfast on Saturday. Big spender. <laughs> there you go. Sign up for the men's breakfast. I'll sit next to you and honor your birthday. But hey, welcome to those who are joining online. Uh, today, I, I have a, 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 a just a different type of message. I want to talk about the DNA of my friend. It was two years ago, October 2021, I lost a very good friend, a peer. His name was Dave Greco. One word that describes him to me is inspirational. This past year, this past October, I lost another good friend, Frank Gascione, known him for years. One word to describe him was caring. He was very nurturing to me. He, he was a, a second father figure to me. So today I want to introduce you to another friend of mine. His name is Joe. Now, I'm not talking about the son-in-law of Bill and Jan Scherer, Joe Hughes, who stops in here when he's on vacation and services because he's a pastor at Monmouth Worship Center. Joe, I know you watch online, and I'm, don't worry, I'm not talking about you today. You, in the last two years, you have become a good friend, but I'm not talking about Joe. I'm not talking about Joe Hughes. I'm not talking about my son-in-law, Joe, who is Pastor Bonnie's husband. I'm not talking about Joe, my other son-in-law, who's the husband to my other daughter, Aaron, and I'm not talking about Joe, who's my brother-in-law, that's Heather's brother. Now, this makes for interesting conversation in our home. So in order to distinguish, Bonnie's husband is Joe, Aaron's husband is Joseph, and Heather's brother is Jose. My only regret in life is I didn't have a son, so I could name him Joe. Now, I have to be upfront and honest with you. I have never met Joe personally. Because he's someone who lived over 2,000 years ago. And we find him in the Bible. But just because I never have met him face to face, I have the world's utmost respect for him and his life has spoken into my life in many ways. Now, once again, because like in my family there are many Joes, in the Bible there are many Joes or Josephs. So let me clarify. I'm not talking about Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob. And I'm not talking about Joseph the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus. I talked about him two weeks ago. I'm not talking about Joseph of Aramaeth, whose tomb Jesus was laid in. Now, there are like four other very obscure Joes in, in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about Joseph, the half-brother of Jesus. I'm not talking about Joseph, the brother of James. And I don't know, but, but when, when Judas was no longer a disciple, there were two others who were nominee, nominated. Uh, jo, Joseph was one of them. 
nominee, he was one of the two nominated to replace Judas. I'm not talking about him. Enough already. Then who are you talking about? Well, here's the problem. The Joseph that I'm talking about today, many of us do not know him by his real name. Like in my family, there are many Josephs. Therefore, they're given the nicknames. Well, in the Bible, there were many Josephs. And many of you will not know him by his real name, but many of you will remember him by his nickname. It's found in Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Whenever in the Bible you see someone referred to the son, the son of something, it was a Jewish cultural way of describing their character or, or a particular behavior. Remember the, uh, James and John, the disciples of Jesus? They were referred to as sons of thunder, thunder which we assume describe their personality. Well, here... Barnabas is described as son of encouragement, which basically describes who he is, his behavior, his personality. And honestly, I I see this as a huge compliment to him. This nickname represents a reputation of incredible honor. And when I think about Barnabas... Being given the name, the nickname, Son of Encouragement, I'm sure people looked forward to spending time with him. People looked forward to being in his presence. So you have always heard me say one of the best ways to learn is to ask questions. So I asked this question a while ago. What was it? about his personality. What was it about Barnabas? What was it about his DNA that earned him the name Son of Encouragement? So this morning, I, I want to lead you in a journey into the life of Joseph and take a look at Three personality traits that I believe earned him the nickname Son of Encouragement. So that's where we're going. First, there are 34 references to Barnabas in the New Testament. 29 of them are found in the book of Acts. So we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. And the first uh, definitive uh, uh comment about him is found in Acts chapter 9. I mean, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 4, where the author of Acts, Luke, writes about a man named Joseph, a Levite who lived in Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now we get an insight a little bit into his personality. He sold the field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The first personality trait that I saw was that Barnabas 
was a very generous man. Now, let me explain what was taking place in the early church. Luke writes and documents how the early church was a very community-oriented, how they fellowshiped daily. What, what you have to realize at this time, as people became followers of Jesus, it was like they were shunned from their family. It was like some even lost their jobs. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a part of this new community, there were those who were shunned by their families, those who have lost their jobs, and it was the church, it was that community, it was that fellowship that all shared alike. And there was one there by the name of Joseph who saw the need that existed in this community. He saw those who were paying a heavy price for being a disciple of Jesus Christ to the point where they lost their livelihood. Now, Joseph is from Cyprus. We know that he has been living in Jerusalem for the last number of years. And one can just assume that perhaps he had a field, he had a piece of land back in Cyprus, that he realized, well, what good is it to me when there are people in need? So we just assume he sold his property He brought the money in from the sale of that property and laid it at the apostles' feet for those who were in need. Now, obviously, this was a big deal because it made such an impression upon Luke's heart that he documents it. And also, it leads up to chapter 5 where we read about two others Ananias and Sapphira, and they were so moved by the notoriety that Barnabas got, they sold a piece of property too. But if you know the story, they didn't give all of the money to the Lord. But they pretended they gave all the money. And if you don't know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, well... Read chapter 5 of the book of Acts. And there was a severe penalty for them trying to be a pretender. You know what the moral of the story is? Don't be a pretender. Think about how encouraging this must have been to the church. How encouraging this must have been to the recipients who were in need. And I believe it's a little insight as to why he was called the son of encouragement. As we move forward in 2023, we have always been known as a generous church. And may we continue to be a generous church to all those missionaries who come here for encouragement. The second personality trait we see in the life of Joseph, who was nicknamed Barnabas, we, we get a little insight as we move forward in the book of Acts. The next I want to talk about is what I call how Barnabas was one who was optimistic. There are two particular occasions where Barnabas's human relations skills 
are noted in the development of the early church. Too significant. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're given a choice to hang around two different people, one is negative and critical, one is always positive and optimistic, who are you hanging around? Let's move forward. In Acts chapter 9, let me just give you the history of where we are. The church was facing persecution. The church was being persecuted, and one of the fierce persecutors was a fellow by the name of Saul. And he was having Christians arrested, tried, and sentenced to death. Most Christians at the time were very fearful as to what Saul could do to them and the church. And then as you read on, you read about a miraculous conversion. When Saul was on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a bright light. And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Do you remember your encounter with Jesus Christ? How amazing, how phenomenal it was. And all of a sudden, Paul, or Saul, who becomes Paul, who was persecuting the church, now becomes one of them. He becomes one of those whom he was persecuting. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were a part of the early church, and this one who was persecuting you all suddenly gets saved, aren't you a little skeptical? Aren't you a little kind of like, hmm, is this real? Or is it just his way of getting into the church to make matters even worse? And there was a great fear. And he was not accepted. And we read how he went to Arabia, modern day Turkey, for three years. And spent the first three years of his conversion away. After three years, in Acts 29 verse 26, it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples But even after three, they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. So when do you give a guy a chance? And the very next verse, verse 27, listen to what it says. But Barnabas... Just stop right there. Don't even read anymore. Just focus on those two yellow words. But Barnabas. Do you realize how pivotal, how crucial those two words are in Scripture? But Barnabas. If it wasn't for Barnabas, who knows where Paul would have ended. This but Barnabas, that is so pivotal, so crucial 
at the stage of the early church, at the progression of the church, at the progression of the two testament. If, if Barnabas wasn't in there, I'm wondering who would have written the rest of the New Testament. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles with, I'm sure, a, an arm around his shoulder. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him. How in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. But Barnabas. Think about that. When everyone else was turning their backs, when everyone else was fearful, when everyone else was skeptical, there was Barnabas willing to take a risk when others wanted to just write him off. Well, if you know the scriptures real well, Barnabas and Paul become a formidable team of ministry and in Acts they're one day in the church of Antioch and the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and says set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I have called them to do and they went on a missionary journey they went preaching the good news establishing and setting up churches Now I want to give you another incident where we see when others were willing to give up, Barnabas was willing to stand alongside of. When they came back from their missionary journey, sometime later, as Scripture says, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns we preached the word of the Lord, and, and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. You know why that is? Because there were a lot of Johns. No. They called him Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted him in Pamphylii and had not continued with them in the work. On that first missionary journey, Mark is an interesting character. Colossians 4.10 tells us that Mark and Barnabas were cousins. Mark was a lot younger. He was just a young lad, and Barnabas says, hey, we're, we're going on a worldwide trip to preach the gospel. Why don't you come along with us? Being a young lad, there's, there's different theory as to why John Mark departed from them. Some think he became ill. Others think he became afraid when the going gets tough. Some just get going. And others believe, well, he just got a little homesick. And he left in the middle of a mission. And when they were going on their second missions trip, 
And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul was like, uh-uh. He deserted the first time. He's not loyal. You can't count on him. I don't want it to. And scripture says they had such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas, a part company. But Barnabas stood alongside his cousin and they sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now think about this. Paul was like, one strike and you're out. And here's here's Barnabas saying, hey, why don't we give this another try? Now I was wondering this morning, what camp are you a part of? Are you part of the camp? One strike and you're out. You desert me. You're not loyal. You're gone. Or are you of the camp of Barnabas where you're willing to give someone a second chance? Who had the right perspective? In the end, I believe it was Barnabas. And why do I believe it was Barnabas in the end? Oh, be something miraculous takes place. At some point further on in Paul's ministry, towards the end, he comes to the conclusion that he needed Mark. Listen, disputes arises, disagreements arises, but I thank God for this one verse in 2 Timothy 4.11. Because all of a sudden, it makes this dispute, this disagreement, come to full light. Paul is writing to Timothy in prison in Rome. And he says, oh, check this out. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is Helpful to me in my ministry. Can you say the word reconciliation? What a beautiful word. At some point, Paul reconciled with Barnabas and Mark to at the point of the end of his life, Paul wanted just five things. He wanted Timothy. He wanted Timothy to bring Mark. He wanted his cloak, his his Jets jacket. And congratulations, all you Giants fans out there. You made it. We didn't there. Now I'm being a Barnabas encouraging. God bless you. And you can, yeah, let's not even go there. He wanted his cloak. He wanted his books. And he wanted his parchments. At one time, he was no longer going to give him a chance. But down through the years... There was reconciliation that took place. All because but Barnabas. I want to stop for a moment. And ask you two questions. Who in your life has been a Barnabas to you?
Who has been an encourager to you? Just think about that for a moment. And my second question is, who are you being a Barnabas to? In the beginning of this new year, we need to thank God for our Barnabases, those who come alongside and have encouraged. And in 2023, we need to be Barnabas to others. Well, he was generous. He was optimistic. He, he saw good in people. It was almost like this sixth sense he had. He, he saw good when everybody else was going to write him off. And there's one other personality trait that I want to close with. The third personality trait I see in my friend Joe, Barnabas. He was open-minded. Now, this one may challenge you. He wasn't a stick in the mud. Do you know a stick in the mud is an idiom that comes back, comes to us from 1730? A stick in the mud is basically a stick in the mud that doesn't want to go anywhere else. It resists change. It's happy where it is. It stays in one place. It's set in their ways. It's not open to change. Oh, no, I'm sounding like a stick in the mud. He has an open mind to what God is doing. And in Acts chapter 11, it records an interesting development in the life of the church. Up to this point, the growth of the church was basically spread, the spread of Christianity was basically among Jewish people. The gospel had spread internationally, but it was basically among the Jews. However, in Acts chapter 11, it jumps the ethnic fence to a whole heap of Gentiles becoming Christians. Now, this is a wonderful thing for us because you and I are actually byproducts of the gospel spreading beyond the border of Judaism. However, in the life of the early church, it was a bit of concern. How would these non-Jews act? Would they do the right thing? How were these non, what type of theology would these non-Jews have who haven't been steeped in the tradition and the knowledge of how God has worked through Israel in all these years? Was this something God was doing or, or was this just a distraction to get us off the right path? To sort this thing out, the early church has this council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. They had this big church meeting to decide, what are we going to do about the Gentiles? What are we going to do about these Gentiles who are becoming saved? And they decided to send someone to check it out. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, when Stephen was persecuted, stoned, the church in Jerusalem just spread. And they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, 
telling the message only to Jews. Some, however, the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. What are we going to do? And who do they send? Come on. Barnabas. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Now, let's go back. How was Barnabas introduced to us? Joseph, a Levite. Now, what do we know about the Levites? The Levites were the tribe from where the priests came from. The Levites were the one who were trained in Judaism. They were the ones... They were considered Jews of the Jews. They were immense in in training in the ways of the law. And here we read of a Levite going to check out a bunch of non-Jews who were becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And it's almost like Barnabas has to step over years of tradition that have been ingrained into his thinking. Racial prejudice. And all of a sudden, he comes to Antioch and he sees these Gentiles worshiping God. Now, as a young boy, he knew the law. As a young man, he he knew that Gentiles and Jews didn't even sit down to eat together. How could they possibly worship together? And I'm sure he had years where, that were ingrained into him of how God moves among his people. Where the Gentiles weren't even allowed into the temple courts. But now they're worshiping God. So they send this Levite to check out what's happening in Antioch. And what do we read? When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. Think about the stretch Think about his open-mindedness. In our day, it's easy to, to grasp this paradigm shift, but in those days, this was a huge paradigm shift. shift. And Barnabas was open-minded. He, he saw that God was doing something new, and he quickly recognized it and blessed it. Even all those Levitical training and, and all the tradition was screaming out that something was wrong Barnabas had a fresh view, a contemporary view of what was God doing. Barnabas didn't have God in a cultural box. Barnabas didn't have God in a traditional box. Barnabas didn't have God 
in a religious box. And so many of us put God in a box thinking that he can only do certain things among certain people at a certain time. But God can do all things, my friends. Stick in the mud? Yeah. Resist change? Yeah. Stuck where I am? Yeah. Based on tradition? Yeah. But I look at Barnabas, and you know what he says to me? You don't want to miss out on what God's doing by being narrow-minded. Maybe he's doing a new thing. Maybe he wants to do a new thing in 2023. And I'm like, okay, Lord. Let's do it. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. There's one illustration I want to close with that comes from the Old Testament. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, there's a list of fighting men. A list of tribes who are willing to stand with David against the armies of King Saul. And amidst this long, fascinating list is a statement about one tribe in particular. And I, I, just, I just loved the commentary on this one tribe that was willing to stick with David as they went to go fight the armies of King Saul. And it says this. The men of Issachar understood the times. The men of Issachar who understood the times knew what Israel should do. Understood the times. And I confess, sometimes I worry about me not understanding the times and missing out on what God wants to do. Just being honest. My friend Barnabas, my friend Joe, my friend Joseph, who was given the nickname Barnabas, he was one of the men of Issachar's who understood the times that God was doing a new thing among the Gentiles. And who was he to interfere because of tradition? God, if you want to do a new thing among us, let us understand the times, God, and do it. Who is a Barnabas to you? Would you thank them this week? Would you thank the Barnabases in your life? And would you pray that God would make you a Barnabas to someone else in this new year? Could you think, think with me, with what would happen if every one of us became a Barnabas to someone who didn't believe and this next year they became a believer, you know what would happen to the size of our church? Yeah. Boom. And in 2023, may we continue 
to be a generous church where missionaries come and encouraged. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for my friend Joe, whom I have never met personally. But you had his life recorded in your word. And even though I have not met him personally, Lord, I thank you for the profound impact that he has upon my life. From just this journey of studying his life. What an honor it would be called. What an honor it would be to be called a son of or a daughter of encouragement. Help us to be generous. Help us to be optimistic. Help us to be open-minded as to what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Bonnie, could you just sing that chorus you're playing? A pure heart That's what I long